You can get this full audiobook for free on Amazon, by clicking on the link in the description. Is brought to you, by The Book Guide. The first time Caesar approached Cora about running north, she said no. This was her grandmother talking. Cora's grandmother had never seen the ocean before that bright afternoon in the port of Ouida, and the water dazzled after her time in the fort's dungeon. The dungeon stored them until the ships arrived. Dahomean raiders kidnapped the men first, then returned to her village the next moon for the women and children, marching them in chains to the sea two by two. As she stared into the black doorway, Ajari thought she'd be reunited with her father, down there in the dark. The survivors from her village told her that when her father couldn't keep the pace of the long march, the slavers stove in his head and left his body by the trail. Her mother had died years before. Cora's grandmother was sold a few times on the trek to the fort, passed between slavers for cowrie shells and glass beads. It was hard to say how much they paid for her in Ouida as she was part of a bulk purchase, 88 human souls for 60 crates of rum and gunpowder. The price arrived upon after the standard haggling in Coast English. Able-bodied men and child-bearing women fetched more than juveniles, making an individual accounting difficult. The nanny was out of Liverpool and had made two previous stops along the Gold Coast. The captain staggered his purchases rather than find himself with cargo of singular culture and disposition. Who knew what brand of mutiny his captives might cook up if they shared a common tongue? This was the ship's final port of call before they crossed the Atlantic. Two yellow-haired sailors rowed Ajari out to the ship, humming, White skin like bone. The noxious air of the hold, the gloom of confinement, and the screams of those shackled to her contrived to drive Ajari to madness. Because of her tender age, her captors did not immediately force their urges upon her. But eventually, some of the more seasoned mates dragged her from the hold six weeks into the passage. She twice tried to kill herself on the voyage to America, once by denying herself food, and then again by drowning. The sailors stymied her both times, versed in the schemes and inclinations of chattel. Ajari didn't even make it to the gunwale when she tried to jump overboard. Her simpering posture and piteous aspect, recognizable from thousands of slaves before her, betrayed her intentions. Chained head to toe, head to toe, in exponential misery. Although they had tried not to get separated at the auction in Ouida, the rest of her family was purchased by Portuguese traders from the frigate Vivilha, next seen four months later drifting ten miles off Bermuda. Plague had claimed all on board. Authorities lit the ship on fire and watched her crackle and sink. Cora's grandmother knew nothing about the ship's fate. For the rest of her life, she imagined her cousins worked for kind and generous masters up north, engaged in more forgiving trades than her own, weaving or spinning, 
nothing in the fields. In her stories, I say and Sidhu and the rest somehow bought their way out of bondage and lived as free men and women in the city of Pennsylvania, a place she had overheard two white men discuss once. These fantasies gave Ajari comfort when her burdens were such to splinter her into a thousand pieces. The next time Cora's grandmother was sold was after a month in the pest house on Sullivan's Island. Once the physicians certified her and the rest of the nanny's cargo clear of illness. Another busy day on the exchange. A big auction always drew a colorful crowd. Traders and procurers from up and down the coast converged on Charleston, checking the merchandise's eyes and joints and spines, wary of venereal distemper and other afflictions. Onlookers chewed fresh oysters and hot corn as the auctioneer shouted into the air. The slaves stood naked on the platform. There was a bidding war over a group of Ashanti studs, those Africans of renowned industry and musculature, and the foreman of a limestone quarry bought a bunch of piccaninnies in an astounding bargain. Cora's grandmother saw a little boy among the gawkers eating rock candy and wondered what he was putting in his mouth. Just before sunset, an agent bought her for $226. She would have fetched more but for that season's glut of young girls. His suit was made of the whitest cloth she had ever seen. Rings set with colored stone flashed on his fingers. When he pinched her breasts to see if she was in flower, the metal was cool on her skin. She was branded, not for the first or last time and fettered to the rest of the day's acquisitions. The coffle began their long march south that night, staggering behind the trader's buggy. The nanny, by that time, was en route back to Liverpool, full of sugar and tobacco. There were fewer screams below decks.